0: It was December 16th, 1890. The snow had started falling in the afternoon. By evening, it was heavy on the ground, and yet that did not stop a group of members from Roanoke Baptist Church from meeting to discuss their plan to charter a new congregation in the growing west end of town. Can you imagine what they were hearing at home? The snow is piling up. You can't go out in this. Why not meet next week? But the motivation was there and the energy was there to respond to the call to expand the Baptist family. A few weeks later, in January 1891, the Second Baptist Church in Roanoke was chartered by 34 people. Since that day, Thousands of people have entered and departed from Calvary Baptist Church, and some of you are still here. It started with a desire, which, well, not from 1890. (laughs) I expect the spirits of those people are still here, but let me try again. Think about all of the people who have entered and exited from Calvary Baptist Church. It started with a desire, which led to a vision. People who were moving into this growing city needed hearts that were open to sharing the love of Jesus Christ, and eventually doors that were open to worship God in community. Hannah could have used a family like Calvary. Her husband, Elkanah, loved her very much, but his other wife did not. For years, Penina teased Hannah because Penina had children, but Hannah could not. In their patriarchal culture, a woman's identity came from the children she bore for her husband. And Elkanah loved her, tried to console her. Why do you weep? Why do you not eat? Why is your heart sad? Am I not more to you than 10 sons? No, he wasn't enough. Hannah desperately wanted a child. Now perhaps you have experienced other people making fun of you for something you could not help. Only pretty girls get to be on our team. Dude, you're too short to play. I'm sorry, we really need someone with more experience. When no one else can deliver us from our overwhelming pain or ourselves, we turn to God. When the newest gadgets and the house on the water do not fulfill us, we have a refuge in God. A seeker who spent time with the monks in Tibet found religion there peaceful but unfulfilling because he said there was no living hope. He eventually returned to the church because for living hope, we must turn to God, especially at the time of beginnings. You may not think of the holiday season as a time of beginnings. More often, it can be a time of the past, of continuing traditions from the past and not beginning new ones. William Petit wrote in The Pentecostal Minister how. In 1903, the Russian Tsar noticed a sentry posted for no apparent reason on the Kremlin grounds. So he started researching as to why this was, and he discovered that in 1776, over 125 years earlier, Catherine the Great found there the first flower of spring, and she commanded, post a sentry there so that no one tramples that flower underfoot. 127 years later, there was still a century there. Some traditions die hard. But some traditions need to die. The tradition of making fun of other people, for example, like Penina did Hannah, that kind of tradition needs to die. The tradition of buying unnecessary gifts out of obligation alone also needs to die. Our Advent conspiracy study on Wednesday nights reminds us to not make the mall our place of worship during Advent. That tradition needs to die. But since nature abhors a vacuum and seeks something to fulfill it, we can become strategic about replacing our inappropriate traditions to fit our growing desire to center our lives on Jesus. For instance, aim for every name you call someone to be a positive one. Give time instead of a tangible gift, such as visiting people who may be lonely. If you feel obligated to spend money for people, ask the name of their favorite charity, and make a donation in their honor. Now, any change, any new thing causes birth pangs. Think again about Jesus and his disciples in Jerusalem at the temple, when Jesus comments that this majestic temple will no longer be the house of God one day. And it had been there for centuries In northeast England are the remains of a medieval abbey above the town of Whitney. Hilda was an early abbess there, and she kept it running well, as others did for centuries. It was a place of peace and piety, a place where men and women together learned the gospel and learned to proclaim it and to live it out. Unfortunately, Henry VIII came along and eliminated the cathedrals, the monasteries, the convents, the abbeys. And World War I didn't help matters. Today, only the shell of the cathedral remains. With no roof, its floors are covered with grass. The carved stone and shapes of the windows still are beautiful and enthralling. And yet it reminds one of Jesus' sayings that even that unmatched temple at Jerusalem would be destroyed. For those of you who are interested in such things, the the temple at Jerusalem was destroyed in the year 70 AD. Some people date Mark's written gospel to prior to the temple destruction, while some people date it afterwards. But either way, Jesus' words force us to accept that traditions as we know them will change. Since nature abhors a vacuum, what will take their place? What will take the temple's place? What will take the place of worship if it's not them all? Jesus says to his disciples to the, the four his four closest disciples, "When you hear wars of wars and rumors of wars, do not be alarmed. This must take place, but the end is still to come. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be earthquakes in various places, there will be famines. This is but the beginning of the birth pangs. And while Jesus' disciples may have expected something apocalyptic to happen in their lifetimes, we have watched year after year as prediction after prediction becomes history. But desires and visions still are active and birth pangs still are a part of life. It takes work to birth something new. It takes labor. It takes a thick skin. It takes prayer. Mostly, it takes God. Gary Wilburn told the story of one of our hymns that we sang earlier today. In 1636, amid the darkness of the Thirty Years' War, a German pastor, Martin Rinkert, is said to have buried 5,000 of his parishioners in one year, averaging 15 a day. His parish was ravaged by war, death, and economic disaster, and in the heart of that darkness, with the cries of fear outside his window, he sat down and he wrote a table grace for his children. Now thank we all our God with heart and hand and voices. Sing with me. Who wondrous things hath done in whom this world rejoices? Who from our mother's arms hath led us on our way of love and still is ours today. Here was a man who knew Thanksgiving comes from love of God, not from outward circumstances. Too often we look fulfillment from those external circumstances. We look for them from outside of ourselves, Whether it's a great cup of coffee or a new relationship like the old York Peppermint Patty commercials, we get the sensation and we like it. But eventually that sensation dies away. The candy is gone, the coffee is gone, the new person disappoints us like the old ones did. when our worship is directed toward temporary objects, it always will disappoint us. And even for Hannah, a child was not enough, a son was not enough, but a son dedicated to God. And that child named Samuel became a catalyst for her entire people group. For these reasons and more, God is called a rock and a fortress, one who will not be shaken. At the temple at Shiloh, Hannah prays to God who is her rock when her husband, her co-wife, and even her priest Eli are like wet sand and do not support her. As Hannah is petitioning God for a child, praying silently but forming the words with her mouth, Eli thinks she has drunk. Part of the birth pains are visible in the story. People will misunderstand us or make fun of us or try to shred our vision. God, though, is in the business of helping bring appropriate desires and visions to reality. Emmanuel Mustafa was in Roanoke this week for the meeting of the Baptist General Association of Virginia, That is a group of over 1,400 congregations who work together for missions and ministry. He was helping launch a new partnership between Virginia Baptists and Ghana Baptists in West Africa to reduce malaria in the northern territory of Yendi. As he spoke to a group of interested people to explain the project, he told us that as a missionary to this people group, he's from a different one, He had had a goal of planting 400 churches within 10 years, and he got it done within five. Now, these small congregations are not American-style congregations. They're not like this one as we know it. They meet in homes or more often under trees. He plants the church, and he trains a leader, and he said he's very cautious to call them leaders because once you start calling them pastors, then you have to pay them. He has another goal of planting a 1,000 churches now, but he realizes that the good news of Christ includes both spiritual and physical salvation. Since malaria is the number one killer in Africa, Virginia Baptists and Ghanaian Baptists are partnering to raise $1 million over the next two years to purchase 100,000 chemically treated mosquito nets to teach people how to use them correctly, and to plant churches in over 300 villages in this northern Ghanaian territory. And only after explaining the project and how $10 could save a person's life did Mustafa tell us that two of his own children had died of malaria. And perhaps that grief was the seed for this amazing vision. A $10 mosquito net might have saved their lives about what I spend when I go out for lunch. Peanut butter and jelly doesn't sound so bad when you think that $10 could save the lives of a mother and son who could do great things like Hannah and Samuel. Bringing a dream to reality will cause birth pangs. Yet we are not alone. God creates us not to tease and taunt each other like Penina did Johanna, but to be midwives, to work together and share the burden, even as we share the joy of seeing someone's dream realized. And so I think one of the things that these scriptures could call us to is to examine our own desires or a desire that we might have that could turn into a vision. There was a girl who went into a sculptor's studio and she, could, she started to make out the face of Abraham Lincoln in a block of marble. And she said to the sculptor, well, how, the, how in the world did you know he was in there? But I think there's, a, you know, there's a something within all of us that wants to come out. Out of our little block of marble. And what would that be for you? To what is God calling you? And then how could we together realize that vision? Let's pause to thank God for all of God's gifts. Reach deeply within us, O God, and draw out our desires for goodness, for hope, for future, for love. Make us vulnerable to announce our vision to another person And with your help to seek to bring it to reality. We thank you for the partnerships that develop across miles and across time. We thank you for those partnerships that have been here at this congregation that helped bring this congregation to reality and have made a difference in so many lives. Guide us, O God, as we continue to seek your will, your paths, your hope. We thank you for being our rock and our fortress. Amen.